Blog Talk Radio. Podcast number two here on uh, with Phil Steele, and I've uh, got a great show lined up for you today. Naturally, the star of the show anytime is uh, the callers. I uh, hope we get a lot of great calls in today. We already have a lot of tweets from out there, uh, so we've written through some tweets. And then at the second half of the podcast, I know a lot of folks like to play fantasy football, and we bring on one of the best in the business, Emmy Award-winning fantasy football Eric Casillas, and he gives you the sleepers and the overrated players in the NFL in the second half of this podcast. So you're definitely going to want to make sure you check that out today. If we get some chance, we'll talk some Heisman hopefuls. We'll talk some conference star courses. But you guys know me. I like to take calls. So let's uh, start off. We're going to go to uh, Cincinnati, and uh, we're going to open it up right here from uh, a caller in Ohio, Mike from Cincinnati. Uh, you're on. Thank you. Phil, I've got a question. When do you think the powers that be will uh, wise up and make this an eight-team playoff instead of a four-team? I think you take the five power conference winners, and it, it opens, and then the three at large from there, and it opens it up to the group of five to have a, you know, a Houston or somebody like that to get into the playoff. I think it makes a lot more sense. Then you can still play the big out-of-conference games, the USC and the Alabama and games like that, not have to so much worry about a loss because if you win your conference, you're going to go to the playoff. What's your feelings on that? All right. Appreciate it, Mike. And, uh, you know, when I when I look at uh, the playoffs, I have to admit I'm a little prejudiced here in the fact that 13 years ago I wrote my first article in the magazine, which was the perfect playoff system. I said the BCS is nice, but we can make it perfect. And uh, the way to do that is go with a four-team playoff, one against four and two against three, and then have the winners play off in a championship game. And that's what came to fruition about 10 years later, finally got adopted. And I've enjoyed the first two rounds. I think when you do a four-team playoff, uh, you keep the attrition level low. In other words, like in the FCS, for example, they have 16-team playoff. There was actually a three-year stretch in the FCS where they had the third-place team from the Colonial Conference, a third-place team from one of the divisions in the Colonial Conference, playing for the championship game two out of three years because it comes more of a battle of attrition. Now, as far as the scheduling goes, I think this year just shows that the four-team playoff is working as far as scheduling goes. We've got some great matchups right out of the box. Uh, six ranked versus ranked teams, games like Alabama, USC, Clemson has taken on Auburn, plenty of big-time games right out of the box. 
box, so I think that's good. And keeping it a 14 playoff, I think, keeps the regular season intact. It's the most important regular season of any sport, college or pro. I see your idea. I feel your idea for the eight, but I still think four is the perfect number. And uh, I really do appreciate the call, Mike. Now, uh, next up, uh, we're going to go uh, into another caller from Ohio. Ohio's a football town, huh? or a football state, I should say. And we're going to go to Michael coming calling from Ohio. Michael, you're on with uh, Phil Steele. Uh, my question to you is that there seems to be a lot of preseason injuries. I'm a Vanderbilt fan. We lost Andrew Jellick, an offensive lineman. Missouri has lost a couple offensive linemen. Middle Tennessee stayed in our schedule, lost a couple wide receivers. Have there been more preseason injuries this year than past years, or is it just something I'm noticing more this year than most years? All right, that's a great question, Michael. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, when I look at the uh, the players, what what I do in the magazine is I, I get my magazine in front of me, and then I circle the players in the magazine as far as, uh, you know, players that are out for the year. And I can tell you that this is pretty much a normal year going as far as circles in the magazine. There is always that attrition, whether it be players leaving via the transfer, uh, whether it be the preseason injuries, or uh, what has happened to the teams. Probably we're seeing a few more players transfer now than we have in years past uh, in the fact that transfer rule, they can transfer and play elsewhere. And we see a lot of players, like at Alabama recently, which has lost a couple of top recruits, guys that have come in expected to start right away, and when they're not starting, uh, they end up uh, going elsewhere. But uh, I think overall this year, you mentioned Vanderbilt. That is a key loss there with Andrew Jokes. I had him projected as a starting left tackle this year. He, of course, missed last year with injury. Hopefully he'll be able to come back. Uh, and Missouri got hit, both the offensive line and defensive line. Uh, but I think injury-wise, it's about the same. And by the way, if you go to philsteel.com, we give you a complete list of all the players that are out for the season. So you could do the same thing I do, which is circle the players' names in your magazine. And this I find very helpful because when you get to maybe the third game of the season, you might flip to your page and you've got a team that's got no circles on, and they're taking on a team that's got about 10 or 11 circles on, suffering a lot of attrition. And uh, I think you'll find that very interesting. And the other part to look at is, you know, we also up on philsteel.com right now have a blog, a blog over uh, how many injuries were lost at last year to injury and you'll see a team like TCU for example got hit real hard defensively with injuries last year and that's why their defense slipped a little bit but uh, overall I appreciate the call Michael and I would say it's about the same as it has been in the past years Uh, and now uh, what we're going to do I like I got got quite a few followers here on Twitter which are very appreciative of each and every one and uh, I would like to uh, get a couple of those guys involved in the conversation. I know not everybody is uh, always up and available to uh, call in for the show right out of the box. So uh, I'm going to take a look at uh, the first one is going to come from uh, at Greg Tucker 21. And his question this year, or this week, I should say, is who will be this year's Iowa? Now, that's a great question. Iowa, of course, a surprise team that went 12-0 and last year. I think there's two primetime candidates that could be this year's Iowa, or this year's non-top-10 team that actually has a shot at contending for something at the end of the year. The first one I'm going to look at is the Washington Huskies. And when you look at Washington, they're a team that at one point was just 4-6 and six last year, very disappointing, ended up winning their final two games to get to a bowl game, and then winning their bowl game to finish with the winning season. Now, last year I did not have high expectations for Washington. I picked them tied for fourth in the Pac-12 North, and they did uh, struggle. And when I looked at Washington this year, the one thing that jumped out to me about last season 
is that their defense last year was the best defense in the Pac-12. They only allowed 18.8 points per game, which is really a great record. Now, this year, they only lose six lettermen off the defensive side of the ball. They have got a, a total of 28 lettermen back on defense. I think they have the best defense in the Pac-12 this year. Offensively, they had a true freshman quarterback in Jake Browning, a true freshman running back in Miles Gaskin, who rushed for 1,300 yards and almost six yards per carry. Then their game-breaking kick returner, punt returner, wide receiver John Ross missed all of last year with injury, and he's also back this year. So that's a nice combination there. They've got nine of their top ten offensive linemen back. They get Stanford, USC, Arizona State all at home. So the schedule's there where if they can win a couple of key road games, I'm talking about at Utah and at Oregon, they would have the chance of actually running the table much like Iowa did last year and working their way into the playoffs. The other surprise team I have this year is TCU. And, you know, when you look at the Big 12, Oklahoma's the number one team, in fact, the only preseason team to rank in the top ten this year. So you have to be wary of them. But keep in mind the last four times Oklahoma's been ranked in the preseason top five, they have not finished higher than number 15. They've got a 15 finish in the final polls, a 16 finish. Twice they've actually finished unranked despite entering the season uh, in the top five in the preseason. Now, if something was to happen to Oklahoma, the team that would be primed and ready to take their place is TCU. TCU should have one of the best defenses in the Big 12. I mentioned earlier how banged up they were on defense last year with just five returning starters, and they lost about three of them to injury. They have eight starters back on defense this year, so a much, more, a much stronger unit. And while they lose their starting quarterback, running back, receivers, uh, I think their offense is going to be just fine. So with uh, Hill at QB, they look to be in good shape. So add it all up, I think TCU, if they get past Oklahoma, and I'm talking about October the 1st, they would actually have a shot at running the table this year and be in this year's Iowa. So I appreciate the tweet there. Uh, Greg and uh, we do actually have a lot of tweets here so let me let me run through another tweet for you Uh, and um, remember if you're listening right now on uh, blog talk radio you can give us a call at 646-668-2248 that's 646-668-2248 give us a call right now and we'll get your call right on the line but uh, let's take a look at uh, someone else, and uh, it's going to be Tommy Touchy, at Tommy Touchy, T-O-U-C-H-Y. And his question is, can Texas play enough defense to win eight games this year? Tommy, I do believe they will. You know, when I look at Charlie Strong, I see a coach that's embedded in defense. You go back to his days at Florida his days at Louisville. He ended up with a great defense at Louisville after a couple of years there. And when he came in here at Texas, he had a my way or the highway philosophy. And it was one that uh, left them a little thin on the defensive side of the ball. They played a lot of freshmen last year, like Malik Jefferson, who was my number one rated linebacker coming out of high school. Jefferson stepped in and did just what you would think he would do, which was have a big year. He finished the number two tackler on the team. Well, Jefferson's back. I like the size they have at defensive tackle with Boyette and Puna Ford. Uh, You look at that secondary, they've got about nine guys with starting experience back there. They've got size. They've got speed. The numbers weren't there last year. I mean, Texas last year allowed 453 yards per game. They gave 233 yards per game passing. But I think when you look at that secondary, it's going to be one of the more underrated units. So overall, when I look at Texas this year, 
I see them vastly improved on defense. I also see them vastly improved on offense. I think it could be a change, much like TCU did two years ago when they went from 4-8 and eight to almost making the playoffs. TCU switched their offense and went from 25 points per game to 46 points per game. I think Texas can make the same type of jump this year with the veer and shoot of Sterling Gilbert, Shane Bouchelle back at QB, Chris Warren and Dante Foreman at the running back spot. They are loaded. And when I look at their schedule this year, I think Texas has a great shot at least getting to eight wins, if not nine or ten, and could be a dark horse contender uh, for the Big 12 this year. So I appreciate the tweet there, Tommy. And uh, now let's move on to the next uh, item of business here. And as we mentioned in the top of the tape, we are going to talk about some Heisman hopefuls for 2016. And, guys, can you remember a year where we've had this much quality talent coming back? I mean, guys that are legitimate Heisman contenders. In fact, the guys that we have in there right now is maybe the number five contender to win the Heisman in other years will probably be the preseason favorites. And there's some great names out there. You know, you start with a guy like Leonard Fournette at the uh, running back spot for LSU. Fournette was tearing it up last year. In fact, if the Heisman Trophy was awarded middle October or late October, Fournette would have won the Heisman last season. He's got everything you want. He's got size. He's got the speed. He's got the breakaway ability, and yet he can power over you. He's clearly a top running back for the draft. He's running behind an excellent offensive line for LSU. So add it all up. You've got to have Leonard Fournette as one of your prime candidates, even though after the end of the season last year, he did not make the trip to New York. I think he gets there this year. Another guy, Christian McCaffrey. And a lot of folks will say, hey, Christian McCaffrey should have won the Heisman Trophy last year. Christian McCaffrey's a guy that simply broke Barry Sanders' all-purpose yard record for a season uh, and did it in remarkable fashion. And, of course, the big Rose Bowl game at the end of the year. He was Stanford's leading rusher, leading receiver, leading kick returner, leading punt returner. And just did everything well last season. He's got a good offensive line coming back. They may rely on him a little more with their senior quarterback, Kevin Hogan, now moving on. They're a little less experienced at the quarterback position. I think as long as he holds up, he is a prime candidate to win the Heisman. A couple other names to throw out at you. How about a Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma? Now, Baker Mayfield's a guy that at Oklahoma last year was almost in the Heisman mix. In fact, he was in the Heisman mix. Then he missed two games with injury late in the year. That ended up costing him a little bit. Well, it did cost him a trip to New York, basically. But if you're an undefe- a quarterback for an undefeated team and putting up big stats, you're a Heisman contender. Baker Mayfield, you can put a check mark in all three of those areas. Oklahoma's going to be favored in all 12 of their games this year. Mayfield's going to put up big-time stats, provided, of course, he stays healthy. He's a great leader. So I think Mayfield has to be included in there. And then you take a guy like Dalvin Cook of Florida State. Dalvin Cook is an electric running back, and he can score in a lot of ways. Remember that Clemson game last year? His first two touches, big both long runs, uh, including one for a touchdown. Uh, and really put Clemson on their heels in Death Valley early on. Well, now he's running behind one of the most veteran offensive lines in the entire country. And uh, when you look at uh, Florida State this year, I think if Dalvin Cook can stay healthy, uh, Dalvin Cook would actually be uh, a guy that can top 2,000 yards rushing. Plus, they play Clemson uh, at home in the, during the season, which is big because if they can beat Clemson at home, that would be a head-to-head with Deshaun Watson and maybe put a leg up in the Heisman chase. I could throw out other names like J.T. Barrett of Ohio State, Chad Kelly of Ole Miss, 
uh, Josh Rosen of UCLA, Royce Freeman of Oregon, uh, P. Ryan of Oklahoma. A lot of great names out there. But the guy I went with to win the Heisman this year, I had to go with the, the chalk. I went with Deshaun Watson. And he, Deshaun Watson's a guy who in the first five games last year, uh, he only averaged 238 yards per game. He was coming off an ACL injury, wasn't 100%. They finally took the reins off of him uh, in the second half of the year. And uh, all of a sudden, he had over uh, over 400 yards per game in the second half of the year. And that includes uh, 478 yards against Oklahoma in the national title game. So a truly impressive performance. He's got eight starters back on offense with him this year. And when you look at Clemson, you know, naturally they're going to be a national title contender this year. They'll be one of the top teams in the country. They've got the most explosive offense in the country, and they've got Deshaun Watson. Plus, when I talk to the NFL guys, uh, they all say that Deshaun Watson's the number one guy for next year's draft. So you have the talent. You have the most explosive offense. you got a guy that's a year removed from his injury. And after that performance he had in the title game, he's on everybody's radar. I picked Deshaun Watson uh, to win the Heisman Trophy this year. Uh, now we're going to go at, back to another uh, tweet that we got in here, and this one comes from at Rick Muscles, M-U-S-C-L-E-S, at Rick Muscles, and his question is, how deep is Auburn's defensive line? Well, last year, that line didn't appear too deep, did it, Rick? I mean, you look at the first game of the season, Carl Lawson was chewing them up and spitting them out in the first half against Louisville. Then when Lawson went down, Auburn's defense appeared to go down last year, and they really weren't the same until later in the year when Lawson was back from injury and they were playing well. But this is a deeper defensive line this year. You look at the fact that Carl Lawson's back and clearly one of the best defensive ends out there. And then you take a look at a guy like Montrevious Adams who comes in at nearly 300 pounds, on, or a big guy in the middle, I should say, nearly 300 pounds. And uh, he is one of the best defensive tackles in the country. Dontavious Russell uh, adds uh, some size on the inside. And then you look at Marlon Davis, the true freshman. He's my number 10 rated defensive lineman out of high school. He was in for the spring. And he's a guy that, you know, stepped on the field and was ready right away. I think he's going to make an impact. Uh, maybe a Byron Coward at the defensive end spot. Uh, they bring in a Juco and Devore Lawrence. They've got a number, PS number four rated true freshman in Derek Brown, who's 315 pounds. Jeff Holland adds some uh, speed off the edge at the uh, buck position. He was my number nine rated linebacker. And the list goes even deeper. So overall depth this year clearly a more experienced defensive line for Auburn coming into the year and I think we're going to see a much improved Auburn defense I mean last year's Auburn defense in fact the last uh, five years they've allowed over 4.5 yards per carry I think they'll top that this year I see them improving from about 183 yards per game rush defense so I should say my computer sees them improving uh, down to 183 or 148 yards per game rush, which is a big-time improvement. That Auburn defense and that Auburn defensive line should be a big part of Auburn being a uh, much stronger team uh, this season. And uh, once again, uh, by the way, guys, you can call in at 646-668-2248. That's 646-668-2248. We'll get you on the air. Uh, Let's go back to another Twitter question this year. And uh, this one is Phil's. This is from Sean McGeady, which is SMCG2285 on Twitter. And that is Phil, thoughts on Navy season win total at six and a half 
and the BC offense with Tolls and Leffler this year. Thanks. Well, Sean, let's start with the Navy question. And, you know, the one thing that they've got going for them at Navy is just a tremendous head coach. Ken Niamatololo is clearly one of the best in the game. One advantage Navy has is once the, uh, the once you get closer to the season, they have like 150, 160 guys on the, on the roster. They, have, they can have a huge roster, maybe even over 200. Now, you think of Navy and you look at what they've got. They only have one returning starter on offense, and they lose their key guy, Keenan Reynolds. But I like Tago Smith. And it seems like with the service academies, especially with Navy, it doesn't matter who you lose or how many you lose, they're always good. This will be a true test offensively, though, because those are some big-time losses uh, at the quarterback position and overall. Now, defensively, they got five starters back. They did lose Brandon Clements. So if you have your magazine in front of you right now, go ahead and circle Brandon, Cle- Brandon Clements at the cornerback spot. He is not going to be playing this year, so they're down to five returning starters. But you got guys like Micah Thomas and Daniel Gonzalez inside. They'll be just fine. And as far as that season win total of six and a half, you know, if it was any other team in the country that had just seven returning starters, you would rank them thinking they might going to struggle, going to be in for a rebuilding year this year. But with Navy, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, I only have an underdog in four games this year. So I'm thinking they can get to eight wins this season, and I would like them over on the uh, six and a half. As far as Boston College offense with Tolls and Leffler this season, I think they're going to be a much improved offense. Keep in mind last year, Boston College went through like five different quarterbacks. Some of them didn't even deserve to be a college quarterback on the season. And uh, this year they bring in a Patrick Tolls from Kentucky. Tolls is a guy that uh, is 6'5", 238 pounds, and he really adapted the offense well. They still have Darius Wade there, though. Wade's going to be a sophomore this year, and uh, I think that when you look at Wade, he's a guy that won the starting job last year and can spin it, but I think Tolls is in for a big season this year. And Boston College should have one of the most improved offenses in the country. They averaged just 17 points per game overall last year. Uh, and this year I see them going up to 24 or even higher. In fact, my computer in the magazine, and, and this is an interesting thing to look at uh, when you're looking at the, the Phil Steele magazine, is one of my favorite pages in the entire magazine is the projected stats page in the front. And you'd be amazed. Look at this thing at the end of the year after the season is over and see how many times the projected stats were almost identical to what the team put up stat-wise for the season. So it's a page that I like to reference, especially after the season, to check it out. But if you're looking for how a team's going to do this year, it's a nice chart to look at prior to the season and see how they're going to do. But when you look at uh, uh, Boston College this year, my computer's very high on them. It says that last year Boston College averaged just 276 yards per game. They're going to add about 100 yards per game to that this year. Uh, it's got them coming in at 371 yards per game. And if that's the case, keyed with that excellent defense that Boston College has, I think BC is going to be one of those surprise teams. They are my number five most improved team in the country this year and uh, should be in for a, a very surprising season. So I appreciate the tweet there, Sean. And uh, and hopefully uh, you're a fan of both Navy and Boston College because I'm bullish on them both. Uh, moving on, we got uh, Taylor. At Taylor Quinn, 112 tweets in, do you think Texas can take down Notre Dame in week one? And what do you think of Texas's season win total of seven for the over-under? Well, Taylor, as you know from uh, listening to me, I'm very high on Texas this year. I think they're going to have one of the most improved teams in the country. In fact, they are my number one most improved team in the country. I know if you're a Notre Dame fan, 
you're looking at that opening game last year, 38 to three, and that wasn't even a ball game. I mean, Notre Dame had a 30 to eight first down edge in that game. They had a uh, 527 to 163 yard edge. They could have kept playing that game for another 10 hours, and I don't think Texas would have scored very much. Texas is a team that struggled offensively last year, and that really hurt them. Now, this particular matchup, Notre Dame comes in a rather young team. They only have nine returning starters this year. They have to go to the road. There's question marks at quarterback. Will it be Kaiser? Uh, or, or, or what, the, what they're going to do at the QB spot. I mean, they've got two very capable guys uh, back there, but sometimes if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. So whether it's Kaiser that wins the job or whether it's Zaire that wins the job, I think uh, it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Texas is at home. They're fired up. It's a Sunday night. I believe that's one of the best games of the weekend. In fact, people have asked me a lot of times, they say, Phil, uh, what's the one game you're looking forward to this first weekend? Because there's so many great games out there. And probably the one game I'm looking forward to the most is that Texas and Notre Dame game. So uh, I, I think the possibility is there. I still favor Notre Dame a little bit in the game, but Texas very well could win that. Now, as far as their overall schedule goes, it's not easy. You look at that early stretch, they have to play Notre Dame, then they have to play at California, at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma in Dallas, at Kansas State this year, and then TCU to wrap it up at the end of the year. But I'm going with over seven. This is a Texas team that I think wins eight at the minimum, has possibly nine. And as I touched on earlier, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were one of those dark horse contenders uh, in the Big 12 this year. So uh, I'm leaning towards, uh, oh, I definitely like the over seven with Texas. Wouldn't have put them my number one most improved team in the country uh, if that was not the case. Uh, looking at a couple of conference <coughs> dark horses for this year. I'm going to go to the American Conference and pick throw one out here. And that's going to be the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now, when I look at Cincinnati this year, I see a team that's got 13 returning starters. Their defense slipped last season. The last couple of years, they've averaged over 400 yards per game allowed. But they've got eight returning starters on defense this year. I like the overall talent they have. And then offensively, they've got two capable quarterbacks, and Gunnar Keel and Hayden Moore. And they're being pushed by the redshirt freshman, Ross Trail. They've got the solid run game with Mike Boone, Tion Green. And while they lose their top four receivers from last year, and they were all outstanding guys, they may have, a, may have a little more size and speed at the receiver position. You look at a, Jamil Kamara comes in there at the receiver spot. He's a transfer from Virginia. was my number 19 rated receiver out of high school. Avery Peterson comes over from LSU. He was my number 20 rated receiver out of high school. So they're very talented, the receivers. They're just a little on the young side for that. And you look at the offensive line, they've got a veteran group. And last year, Cincinnati was everybody's pick to win the American Conference, and they failed. They went just 7-6 and six on the year, but that team was minus 19 in turnovers. They rate a stock market indicator of plus 2.0. This is a team that was 26-5 at home the last five years, and this year get the majority of their games at home. you got to like that. In fact, they only faced one team on the road that had a winning record last year, and that's Temple. Seven games are at home this year. They were a team that was just 4-4 four and four in the AAC last year, and yet, was plus 167.4 yards per game, which was the best mark in the American Conference. Now, they're way under the radar. Everybody's picking them about third in the rankings for the American Conference this year. I think if you're looking for a dark horse contender to escape with a uh, conference win, everybody's picking Houston. South Florida's up there. Uh, you know, look at teams like Navy, Memphis. I'm going to go with Cincinnati as a dark horse contender to win the American Conference this year. 
Now, as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, uh, I have got a great treat coming up for you today, and it is going to be Eric Casillas. And Eric is a guy that uh, knows his fantasy football. We've seen him. Uh, he's written for my NFL magazine for oh, I don't know, about five years, putting in all the NFL information, doing his rankings, and always at the top of his game. And, you know, when I interviewed Eric, I was thinking it was going to be a five- or ten-minute conversation. It turned out to be about 25 minutes. It was a great call, a lot of great information, and Eric was dishing it out and fantasy football, much like I dish it out for the college football. So at this time, uh, I'm going to bring you into the uh, Eric Casillas conversation if you got a fantasy football draft coming up get your pen ready get your paper ready and start taking some notes well here we go and today i'm going to go with the first ever guest on one of my podcasts just our second podcast but first ever guest and i'm running down a list of names who would i like to have on for a guest and none other than eric casillas himself eric is the king of fantasy football in my mind and uh you know eric hosts his own Eric Casillas show on radio. He's had me on as a guest many, many times throughout the years. And he, of course, is the Emmy Award-winning host of Fantasy Football Now. So if there's fantasy football, you have your draft coming up, you're not going to get a lot of information from me on fantasy football. So I figured I'd go with the guy that knows fantasy football inside and out and my good friend, Eric Casillas. Eric, how are you doing today? I am so honored to be the first guest, and you know how I feel about you. So I'm excited, and let's get going. All right. Well, it's fantasy football time. You've got your draft coming up. Now, just to give you a little idea about the magazine, it's Phil Steele's 2006 Pro Football and Preview Magazine and Fantasy Football. It's like getting two magazines in one. We write the, the NFL part of it, and Eric does the fantasy football part of it. And you get yourself a full page on each one. Eric, tell us, tell me a little bit about the inside the twenty play-by-play that's in there. Yeah, uh, to me, fantasy football is ultimately about uh, scoring touchdowns, and even more specifically, you know, Wayne Gretzky, who is the greatest of all time. I, I've always used this quote when it comes to fantasy football because they came up to him and they said, "Look, you're not the biggest, you're not the fastest, you, you, you don't have the best vision, you're not the quickest. Why are you the best hockey player?" And he says, "I don't skate to where the puck is." I skate to where the puck is going. And fantasy football, the bad analysts tell you what already happened, and they think that that will automatically happen again. You, who I learned from, and what you do with college football, I apply to fantasy football. What I do is I ask, why did this happen last year? And then when you know why it happened, you're in an infinitely better spot to predict whether it will happen again next year. You know, if a guy averages eight touchdowns or ten touchdowns a year and then only scored four last year, why was that? Did he get tackled six times on the one-yard line so it was a fluke and you know he's going to go back to his ten? Or is he losing a step and did they target him less in the red zone? So we broke down every single play from every single team inside the 20 so we know why what happened happened. So that's why we're going to be able to predict for you better what's going to happen next year. That's great. And each team page in the fantasy, in Eric's fantasy football section has got a complete breakdown of every single play that happened uh, in the red zone last year, who they called upon and what they did. And it's something that 
uh, Eric finds very valuable and was kind enough to provide that information for us. And uh, Well, Eric, let's talk a little fantasy football right now. And uh, Naturally, everybody looks at quarterbacks, and I could easily ask you who the top quarterbacks are for the draft, but I think everybody knows who the top three or four guys are for the draft. So what I'm going to ask you, Eric, I'm going to say which players are you higher on than most people are right now. So if you're looking for the draft coming up, uh, everybody's got their draft list in front of them. Which guys do you like better than what most people do right now? I'll give you, for example, a guy that is going to be my backup quarterback on every single team I draft, and that's Matthew Stafford. You know, People say, eh, Matthew Stafford, he lost Calvin Johnson. But here's why you're going to like Matthew Stafford this year. They got a new offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, for the last six games last year. All right, Matthew Stafford threw 17 touchdown passes with Jim Bob Cooter last year as his offensive coordinator. They ran the ball less than anybody else, and they ran for less yards than anybody else. He could set the all-time record for pass attempts this year, and he's going to throw a bajillion touchdowns, and nobody sees this coming. So when you grab him a little later, then you're not going to have to take him in the first five or six rounds. But if you grab Matthew Stafford as your second quarterback, you're going to be thrilled later on down the line. Same thing with Joe Flacco. The whole team in Baltimore got hurt last year. But when you look at Flacco, in 60% of his starts, he threw for more than 300 yards passing. And in 60% of his starts, he threw for two or more touchdowns. So basically every week, he's giving you over 300 yards or two touchdowns, and he didn't even have anybody last year. They have better weapons. Mark Tressman's our offensive coordinator. Look at his history. He throws it around the yard. So those are guys that you can draft way late when nobody's looking that will be very, very good value for their drafted. Well, on the flip side of that, and by the way, Eric, I love the analysis. I love the details you're giving here. I'm learning about uh, football and fantasy football right now, so I'm really enjoying this. Uh, of the quarterbacks out there, who would you rate? Who do you have rated lower than everybody else right now? Um, there's a guy that averaged only 240 passing yards a game last year who was in the bottom 10, who's lousy throwing in the red zone, who had less passing yards than Ben Roethlisberger, and Roethlisberger missed a quarter of the season last year, who never completes 60% of his passes, and people have him as the number one ranked quarterback, and that's Cam Newton. Cam Newton had a fluky 45 touchdowns last year. If you look historically, I don't care if it's Brady or Manning with their crazy years or Rodgers or anybody else, it is almost impossible to replicate the touchdown numbers year to year. It never happens. And if he doesn't give you a fluky 45 touchdowns, he's going to burn you, and he's going to kill your season if you draft him as the number one quarterback. He's not going to help you passing yards. He's not going to help you in any other categories, and the touchdowns won't be there again. He has no chance to be on any of my teams. I love it. I love it. That is everybody, when you think quarterbacks, is going to say right off the bat, Cam Newton. And you look at last year, as you've touched on, Cam Newton led the uh, the NFL in most touchdowns produced. And yet Eric's saying that was a sort of a flash in the pan type of year. So that's that's great stuff, Eric. Now let's. let's it's go to the real. Right it's really hard to av- It's really hard to average bottom ten in passing yards and throw thirty five touchdown passes again. And that's what. And, and I'm betting against that. I'm going to agree with you there. All right, let's go to running backs, and we're, we're going to do the same thing. I'm going to start up by asking you, out there, all those running backs, everybody knows who the top guys are, but which ones are the most underrated running backs for the upcoming year, Eric? 
I really like Lamar Miller in Houston. Um, I think he's going to be very, very good. Houston runs the ball all over the yard. The problem last year is they didn't have anybody to get it inside the goal line. They were terrible in short yards inside the one. Lamar Miller is excellent in that spot. He's a guy that if you just, you know, it's not a sexy pick, but Lamar Miller is going to be one of the top ten running backs fantasy-wise in the NFL this year. And in his sleep, is going to have 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. If you look statistically at what Houston does as a committee, it will be almost impossible for him not to achieve those numbers, and you're going to get him in a good spot. And I love Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. Um, historically, rookie wide receivers don't do well. What is it? Two of the last 380 that have been drafted have exceeded 1,100 yards as rookies. Two of 380. But running backs can make an impact as a rookie. Dallas has the best offensive line in the world. They had no Romo last year, no Des Bryant last year, a guy named Darren McFadden who stinks, and Darren McFadden was fifth in the NFL in rushing last year. Can you imagine what this guy's going to do as a good player who's a three-down back who now has a pass game as a threat? Ezekiel Elliott is going to be even better than advertised. Wow, wow. That is good stuff once again. You know, Eric, I don't play fantasy football, but after listening to you and seeing the value I can get here right now, I'm thinking about joining the league right now. But uh, let's go, go to running backs. Let's stay with the running backs, and let's pick the guy that's the most overrated in Eric says, or guys. Feel free to throw out a couple. But who's the most uh, overrated? The there there are two right guys now? that I like. Every year there's a guy that loses his job between the start of the year and the end of the year. And, you know, I've followed, again, your model with college football, and I've tried to target, and, and if you really look closely, it's not that hard to predict. The guy this year, Jonathan Stewart's going to lose his job in Carolina, and Cameron Artis Payne is going to be the guy. First of all, if you watch the tape and watch the games and look at the analysis, he was clearly the better player last year. Jonathan Stewart has missed at least four games four years in a row, and he can't get out of his own way. This is one of those evolving situations. In my last round, I'm going to grab Artis Payne, and by the end of the year, it's going to pay huge dividends. Also, Hugh Jackson was the offensive coordinator in Cleveland. He was in Oakland when they were terrible, and they were top five in rushing as a team. He went to Cincinnati, and they were good, and they were top five in rushing as a team. Now he goes to Cleveland. He understands he's going to try to shorten the game. They will lead the NFL in rushing attempts, and you can grab Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell both as a tandem and see who emerges late. Those are guys, if you want, flyers uh, that I particularly like. Now, I don't like Stewart, as I mentioned. You asked me who else I don't like. I don't like LaShawn McCoy in Buffalo. Statistically, he's awful in short yardage, has been his whole career. He's not durable. They have Carlos Williams. They signed Reggie Bush. It's clearly a committee up there. It's insanity that people are taking him in the first round. Well, outstanding stuff again. So there's the Carolina Panthers, a legitimate uh, Super Bowl contender. The uh, They were in the Super Bowl last year. You're saying don't take their leading rusher from last hey, year. But even though he's may, may I drop game. one more there? They're not go, they will sure. not go back to the Super Bowl. Do you know the last Super Bowl loser who went back to the Super Bowl the next year? It hasn't happened in 25 years. It was the Bills in the early 90s. And the last Super Bowl loser to win the Super Bowl the next year was the Miami Dolphins in the early 70s. It's been almost 45 years, 45 straight times. You lose the Super Bowl, you don't win it the next year, and 25 straight times, you lose the Super Bowl, you don't go back the next year. There's something to it. I'm betting against Carolina this year. 
Nice. And that's in the magazine, by the way, the NFL magazine. It's not just fantasy football. It also has a regular football section. Uh, we are picking Arizona to win the division this year. So that tells you uh, how much uh, where we've got the rankings. In fact, uh, i give you a little clue. We've got Arizona right at the top of the NFC this year. So that's great knowledge, Aaron. And one more note for your listeners before we continue on with the receivers and the tight ends. If you're absorbing all this knowledge on fantasy football and you're saying, I need this for my draft, and the draft is this weekend, let's say, well, you can actually download the magazine to your iPad or your iPhone through the Apple Store or to your Android device through Google Play. It's just $9.99. You get all this information at your fingertips. If your draft's two weeks from now, then go to philsteel.com, order the NFL magazine. You get the NFL magazine, five full pages on every NFL team, plus all of Eric's great fantasy football stuff, all for just $9.99. It's like two magazines in one. Order it today. We'll ship it today, and you'll have it in time for your draft two weeks from now or get it on your iPad or iPhone. Now, I'm excited. I said I may just join a fantasy football league right now. But, Eric, let's go to receivers. Uh, Give me your guys that are under the radar at wide receiver. Oh, I have so many that are just going to – this is where you really make your your hay, picking wide receivers. You're just picking them off, and people don't realize that you're getting absolutely loaded. Uh, Let me start, first of all, I'm going to go to San Diego, and I'm going to start with Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen got hurt last year, halfway through the year. If you extrapolate his stats out, for, for 16 games, his numbers last year, he would have had 134 receptions for 1,500 yards. Okay? He wow. is a monster, and he's not a household name. If you're in a PPR league where they count points per reception, which is most people now, he's a top 10 guy that's going 25th among wide receivers. So I can give you top 10 value, and you don't have to take him until way later. He's my number one sleeper at any position, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. i got a tight end coming up that I like even better, but Keenan Allen right there off the top. Uh, number two, Golden wow. Tate. Golden Tate will catch 100 passes this year. He, he, based upon Jimbo, wow. Cooter, Jimbo Cooter's offense, what you saw last year, he's the Jarvis Landry up in Detroit. Jarvis Landry, one of my 10 bull predictions last year in your magazine, was that this guy named Jarvis Landry, who was basically the other guy with Odell Beckham at LSU, would catch over 110 passes, and he did. He caught 110 for me last year. So that's the guy right now that I like in a PPR league up in Detroit. Uh, he caught 90 last year in his sleep, and basically you know, he wasn't even the guy. With no Calvin Johnson, it will be, uh, it will be Golden Tate catching a bunch of passes. And Jordan Matthews, uh, in Philadelphia, nobody was targeted in the red zone more than Jordan Matthews, except for Antonio Brown. He also is their absolute number one option. He catches passes all over the place. Very underrated. A guy that I like very much. He's a guy that I recommended last year uh, as a late kind of flyer. This year I'm way higher on him. I think he'll help out. Um, I think he's going to be terrific. He's another guy that I like. Um, as far as guys I don't like, You know, T.Y. Hilton is a little guy in Indianapolis who has way too many games where he just doesn't catch enough passes for me, and he burns you way too often. He's a guy that I I don't particularly love, and I don't rank inside my top 20, no chance to be on my team. And the other guy is, you know, Allen Robinson in Jacksonville. He put up all his numbers. Again, we talk about why. I look at your college football guide, and I figure out why things happen. That's what I learn when I read your stuff. Allen Robinson went crazy when Allen Hearns wasn't in the lineup. When they were both on the field at the same time, Hearns and Robinson were basically the same guy. And Jacksonville had more garbage time points and touchdowns than any other team in the league, and Robinson was the beneficiary. If Jacksonville's better like we all expect, way less garbage time, 
Way more Hearns on the field, which means way less production for Robinson. So I would stay away from him. Wow, that is just this amazing stuff. And if if I do join this fantasy league, Eric, I'm going to have your number on speed dial. And I'll probably call no you problem. I, I hey, I, I have no people <laughs> text me all the time. I I basically am running drafts all every you know these days at night, and I'm happy to do it for any of my friends and for you. You know, I will be there in person uh, if you like. And now I I'm going to jump on you. So excited. Go ahead. One, one thing I want to quickly throw out is uh, if you want to follow Eric on Twitter, Eric, what's the uh, the Twitter follow? At Fantasy EK. At Fantasy EK. EK. That's at Fantasy EK. You were going to say something. I think I cut you off there, Eric. No, no, no. I just I'm so excited to get to the tight ends because I okay, think my best, it. my my best, my number one guy that has to be on every team I draft is Kobe Fleener in New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints last year had stiffs at tight end. And I mean stiffs. It was Benjamin Watson and friends. As a group, remember this is when Jimmy Graham was there, he went crazy. As a group, the Saints tight ends last year caught 111 passes. 111. And they weren't any good. Now they have a good player there. What do you think is going to happen now? I mean, Colby Fleener could be the number one overall tight end by the end of the year. And people don't have him in the top seven or eight. They're insane. He will be on every single team I draft. You know, you can go grab the other guys. You can go grab the Travis Kelseys. You can go grab the, the Greg Olson and his very standard, you know, 70 catches, 900 yards, and six touchdowns that he puts up. And I'm going to go get the guy with the tremendous upside, and that's Kobe Fleener. Wow, that is it's. I've written it down. And uh, where should I draft him? If I'm drafting, where should I draft him? What round? I ha- I have him. Well, you know the thing when it's always funny. One, I hate when people talk about points because no, the thing, the, the strange thing about fantasy is no two leagues really score the same. All right, standard scoring, which they use, they now find out that less than a third of all leagues use standard scoring. So most of the rankings you see is on a scoring system that, no, that nobody uses. So what I have is I, I prefer looking at PPR, and what I like to do, as I did in your magazine, is I have it in, in tiers. After Rob Gronkowski, Kobe Fleener is in my second tier and my number two overall tight end. So once that run of tight ends comes in your league, let people clear out the Greg Olsons and the Jordan Reeds and the, and the Travis Kelseys and then grab Colby Fleener. You'll probably have to take him as the seventh or eighth tight end in your league. Excellent. Excellent advice. Uh, what else do we worry about in fantasy football? Do we, do we look at kickers? I don't care. No, they're all the same. Last rounds. <laughs> they're all the same. And here's what it is. It's not that some guys won't be better. It's, there's no rhyme or reason as to why a guy is better or not better one year or, or, or not year. The only thing I like to do with kickers is I look at playoff weeks and I make sure my guy's not kicking in really bad weather. I don't want a guy in Buffalo and in Green Bay in December if he's my kicker. I want a kicker who's in a dome. That's about it. But other than that, I don't really much care about kickers much. Pick a kicker in a dome. And using Eric's advice when I talk to coaches and I talk to coaches about coaching kickers, generally they don't do that. They don't even go near the kickers. It's a different breed. And so that would speak to that. But uh, pick a kicker in a dome. Great advice from Eric. Now let's move on to defense, Eric. Who Mm -hmm. are your uh, defenses that are underrated heading into this year? You know, same thing as kickers, but just to a little less of a degree in that, there's not really a rhyme or reason 
as to why one particular defense is good one year to the next. You know, it's just sort of like, all right, you know, that's fine. This guy, you know, this defense, that defense. A defense that I've always had pretty good luck with that I don't have to draft very early is a defense like Cincinnati or Kansas City. I like to figure out also, again, same thing. I look at playoff schedule and make sure a team that I have isn't going up against uh, you know, Green Bay, uh, Arizona, and New Orleans come playoff time. Arizona will be one of the top defenses, obviously. The defending champions will be one of the top defenses up there in uh, in Denver. You know, those are the types of things. There's some defenses you stay away from. You don't want Chicago. You don't want Dallas. You know, none of that kind of thing. Uh, the Houston Texans are an interesting defense for me. You know, they're a team I'm sort of on this year. Plus, you're going to get a couple of games against Indianapolis, who gives up a bunch of sacks. You get a couple of games against Tennessee, who isn't any good. So, schedule may help you out there, too. Awesome. Great advice. And what else do we need to know for our fantasy football draft if it's coming up this weekend? I don't take risks in the first three rounds. You know, there's an old saying in golf. You can't win the golf tournament on Thursday, but you can lose it on Thursday. Same thing with your draft. You don't win the draft in the first three rounds. You lose the draft in the first three rounds if you take a risk on somebody. If anybody has any injury concerns, anybody you're nervous about, there's always somebody who's also really, really good in the first three rounds. Take the rock-solid picks early and then take your flyers later in the draft. That is remarkable. This is this has been just a remarkable podcast, Eric, because like I said, I do, I'm do. i not a big fantasy football guy, but uh, I feel that I've learned a lot fantasy football-wise. And if you're boning up for your draft this weekend, don't you want Eric's advice in your corner? You can tell just listening to them the amount of knowledge he has on fantasy football. And you can get Eric's personal rankings on fantasy football in my NFL uh, Pro Football and Fantasy Football Guide, two magazines in one, just nine ninety nine. If your drafts this weekend, get it on your iPad or your iPhone through the Apple Store or your Android device through Google Play. If your drafts two weeks from now, then get that hard copy in your hands and go to philsteel.com or call our offices direct at 866-918-7711. If you're looking for that magazine to be shipped out today, the best way is call the office direct, 866-918-7711. But to get Eric Casillas' Fantasy Football Advice in one magazine, uh, don't tell your friends about it when you're going to the draft. You want to have this one all to yourself and in your back pocket. Eric, uh, well, for being uh, Oh, and, and there's one more thing. Ever. I only put my I'm rankings awesome. up in one spot. My my weekly rankings are only up in one spot, philsteel.com. I can put them anywhere I want in the world. The only place I put them and the only place to get them is philsteel.com. Then you can go to philsteel.com and get Eric's rankings all year long and, and reap the benefits of your preseason success. So, Eric, i got to tell you, for the first guest ever on my show, it's been quite an honor to have you talking fantasy football. I am indeed talking to a fantasy football expert, and i got to love that. So uh, appreciate you coming on this uh, as my first guest on the podcast. Thank you so much. Anytime, anything you ever need, you know the answer is yes. There you have it, Eric Casillas with his fantasy football. And that's going to wrap up this edition of podcast number two. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, make sure if you're headed to your fantasy football draft, you pick up the magazine this weekend. It's been a great pleasure talking to all the callers earlier on and then listening to Eric's wisdom here in the second part of the podcast. And uh, thank you once again for part two or for our second podcast here on philsteel.com.